Please turn in your Bible over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we are. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Today's one of those messages that you have to make two parts to because if you just kind of try to cram it into one, which would be great if you could, you just can't do justice to the passage and I believe get the proper thorough understanding of it as we should. So we're making two weeks of this because it is something that is a very contemporary issue today, very important, and I think one that is being violated on a massive, massive scale. And so we are going to go through this. We get emails, of course, all the time. And one of the things we appreciate, we get emails oftentimes and people say we we appreciate the clarity of the teaching. We appreciate the straightforwardness of it that you just tell it like it is and all of that. Well, just keep that in mind the next two weeks, okay? A lot of people who appreciate this. So we're entering into a passage here in 1 Timothy. And listen, as a pastor, people say, well, aren't you afraid to cover passages like this? No, I'm past all that, okay? I'm past all that. I got most of my life behind me and Jesus could come today. But anyway, it doesn't bother me because the important thing is to deliver the news, right? That was Jeremiah's job. His job was to preach the word, speak the truth. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word as it is, okay? Scoffers, doubters are gonna come. People who believe in fantasies and fairy tales, just preach the word, give it straight and uh, preach the truth with love. And so that's what we're gonna be doing here as we cover this passage. Now, as we continue in our series on 1 Timothy, God's blueprint for the church. That's the theme of the whole study in 1 Timothy. And part of the blueprint is what we're talking about today. We will continue to look at some of the practical instructions and applications of the word of God. God hasn't given us his word just for information. He's given us his word to where we can get the information that leads to transformation. And so this is important. Now, It is obvious from looking at the creation of the world that God has given us that God is a God of order. I don't think anybody can deny that unless you willfully are blind. God is a God of order. Um, If you doubt that, just go down the road a little bit to Clemens Gardens there by Munsinger and walk around and look at the flowers. There's still a lot of beautiful flowers you can look at and look at the geometry of the design. Okay, now listen, folks, if we got here by Big Bang, those flowers would look like just kind of like this, okay? But that's not what you see. You see a beautiful geometry. You see a a magnificence there. And uh, it's, it's, it's awesome what God has done. And that's just a small example of the order of God. Now, God is a God of order, and the local church is the body of Christ, and it too is to have order. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, it says, let everything be done decently and in order. Now, in this passage, Paul speaks to men and then women in the passage. What he has to say is in the context of when we come together as a church to function as a local church. And so keep that in mind. That's very important. Context is very important. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, 
lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now this is, comes right after where we have a responsibility, first of all, to be praying, and we covered that last week. Prayer is not the last resort. Prayer is the first resort. It is part of the spiritual weaponry that we have as believers. It is for the warfare, and we are to be praying diligently, and we have all the different types of prayer listed. We covered that last week. But men, you notice, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so Paul first directs his comments for the men, okay? Now the thought in verse 8 is that we come to the Lord in purity of life and without hesitation. In other words, we need to go to the Lord in prayer, We need to go to the Lord in prayer. It says, uh, yeah, but what about lifting up holy hands? That is why I'm, I'm saying that we need to come in purity of life and without hesitation. All right? This is a picture of people lifting up holy hands is a picture of people coming to the Lord with nothing to hide. Now, children, of course, you know, sometimes you say, did you do that? No, I didn't do it. Well, sometimes they're telling you the truth, sometimes not. Okay, God looks at the heart, but lifting up holy hands is coming with openness, with purity, with sincerity to the Lord. Lord, I'm coming wide open to you. That is the idea here, okay? Nothing to hide. Holy hands, holy hands are spiritually clean hands. And God wants us approaching him with our sin confessed in purity of heart in sincerity. The idea of lifting up holy hands is not necessarily a posture that you must have or your prayers won't get answered. That sounds more like a dead religion would teach. Okay, the way you pray, you know, you got to stand this way and you got to do this and and no, 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 no. You can pray anytime. You can talk to God anytime. God doesn't hear prayers unless you're on your knees. No, that's not true either. Uh, What about a person who has bad knees? Are you still going to require them to get on their knees? See, we get foolish about stuff like this. No, holy hands is a picture of someone who comes to the Lord in purity and has nothing to hide. Now, is there anything wrong with lifting up holy hands? No, there isn't. Okay, if a person comes to our church and they want to lift up holy hands and pray that way, they can do that. That's not our, you might say, custom in our church, but I'm not going to say, put those hands down. Stop that. I might say, well, they're suspect because, you know, the, the Pentecostals and the Charismatics do that. Yeah, they may do that. And you know what? There may be some who do that and they're, they're rascals. And they're wicked. Maybe some are that way. But you know what? People who don't lift up holy hands can be the same way, right? It's just not the issue. The posture is not the issue. But the idea, and of course it comes over from the Old Testament. The idea, you see that a lot in the Old Testament where the saints, when they prayed, they would lift up holy hands to God. You don't have to do it. If you want to do it, there's nothing criminal about it, okay? If you see somebody do it, you don't have to go sit in the next row, You're not going to catch something that's bad from them. So just keep it in mind. Okay, enough said on that. But I think that's the concept. In Psalm 66, 18, just as a cross-reference, it says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I'm embracing iniquity, sin, if I'm holding that in my heart, God's not going to hear my prayers. 
So the idea of lifting up holy hands is coming to the Lord open. Lord, I'm wide open before you. I'm wide open before you in sincerity. And that's a good thing. Now, you notice here, the first ones the comments are directed to are men. And let me say this before we get into this next section. Guys, listen. We as men have been called by God to be spiritual leaders. Both in the home, both in the church. We are to be leaders, okay? This is not chauvinistic. This is the plan of God. If you want to argue with that, you take that up with God, not me. We see it all the way through Scripture, and it will carry through in a very strong way next week as we look at some greater scriptural principles on this. But men, God has called us to be spiritual leaders. This is what God has ordained. This is his plan. This is the way he wants it to be. This is part of the blueprint God has given. But here's the problem. This is also where the church and our society has failed miserably. We have feminized the American male. Men are no longer the leaders. Men have relinquished their leadership position that God wants them to have. He has relinquished that to women who have stepped in. Now, sometimes there's women who want to be that, and there's sometimes there's no one who will lead. Let me give you an example. In the family, as an example. Now, A man who won't lead and a woman who takes the authority from the man, who's at fault? Well, both are at fault, but it begins with the man. It begins with the man. If a man will not be the leader God has called him to be, that's not a dictator now. Loving leadership. Those are key words. They go together. Loving leadership. You lead based on love, based on the principle of the word of God. If you're leading based on love, that is your motive, okay? You're going to lead very conscious of the needs of your family, both your wife and also your children. You'll do it in a right way. You're not going to be a dictator, but you are going to be a loving leader. And listen, there are times when you're just going to have to say, after discussion, by the way, nothing wrong with discussing things with your wife. She has insight that is very valuable in the home. Nothing wrong with that. It's important. I'm getting ahead of myself. But ultimately, the final decision is the man's decision. You don't leave that up to your wife. Well, you take care. Well, you take care. After a while, who's wearing the pants? Well, she is, like the man who said, wait a minute. You know, he he didn't like that. He didn't like hearing that. So he says, I wear the pants in my family. My wife told me I could. Well, (laughs) that's a problem. But let let me tell you this. In fairness to the wives, there's a lot of very frustrated wives married to men who will not lead. He always defers to her in every situation, and that just should not be. Men, we are the ones who will give an account responsibility for leadership. And of course, that is important not only in the home, but also in the local church. We see clearly from Scripture that biblical leadership is committed to the men. Those of you streaming, don't even write me about it, okay? Don't waste my time if you object to that. That is not even an issue to be discussed. The Bible couldn't be clearer, 
And we will talk more about that, by the way, the importance of that and how it all works out. Next week, I'll give you vast evidence for that. But in 1 Timothy chapter, you're in 1 Timothy, look at chapter 6. Again, see, this is the goal. This is why we call our bi-monthly Bible study for men, men of God, because that is what God has called us to be, not just men. I'm a man. (laughs) I'm a man. No, 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 no. Men of God. We're letting God make us into what he wants us to be, into the leaders, the loving leaders that are responsible. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 11, but thou, O man of God, see that? Flee these things, he's talking about sin, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Listen, any woman half in her right mind would say, wow, if I was married to a guy like that, it'd be a lot easier to follow. Yeah, it's true. And that's why God says, guys, let's get with it. All right? So keep that in mind. And now we will segue into the next section. Next, he starts talking to the women. Now, what the Bible says in this passage has become very controversial in the days in which we live, particularly right around 1900. That's when a lot of this started. What the Bible says is very important, though. It isn't because, and by the way, the controversy, it isn't because the Bible is not clear or that it's wrong but that people don't want to accept it at face value. That's the problem. I am amazed. Folks, I do a lot of reading. I've got all kinds of books that have been given, and you read stuff on the internet, and there's emails and all this kind of stuff. And it is amazing how people are constantly nowadays. See, because what we're trying to do, as society shifts and goes down the toilet, so to speak, What we're trying to do is we're trying to adapt the Word of God to make it more palatable to the lost, degenerate world in which we live. That's not the way of God. The way of God is, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says, this is where we stand. And as I mentioned, I believe it was last week, the fool adjusts the Bible to himself, the wise person adjusts himself to the Bible. So that is what it needs to be. It hasn't always been controversial what we're covering. Yet what is written, if embraced, will bring harmony to the home and church as well as the blessing of God. If God has spoken on these issues, it is not open to debate. It's not open to debate. Now, 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. In like manner... In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearl or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So you adorn yourself with the right attitude and so forth, right character and with good works. You notice verse 9, it says, in like manner also, okay? In other words, just as men are to be godly, transparent, submitted to the Lord, and in fellowship with him, so are the women. Men are supposed to be godly, humble, transparent, submitted to the Lord, and women are supposed to be godly, humble, transparent, submitted to the Lord. 
So let me set a little groundwork here, okay? The first thing is this. In light of eternity, okay, in other words, as God sees us in eternity, there is no difference between men and women as far as our standing in Christ goes. In other words, how God sees us in eternity. Hold your place here and go with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 26, Galatians 3, 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How do you become a believer? Putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross, paid for all your sins, and rose from the grave. Your faith is in him. It's not in your good works. It's not in your merit. It's not in your religion, your faithfulness. It's in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross as the full payment for your sin. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is talking about spiritually baptized. If you've trusted Christ, you've been immersed, you've been cleansed into the body of Jesus Christ. There is neither, now watch verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. In other words, you're in chains or you're, you're slave or you're free. Here you go. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So in light of eternity, God sees the value of a man, and at the same time, the same thing, he sees the same value for a woman. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. Guys, your wife is just as valuable to God as you are, and just as wonderful, okay, as a child of God, and ladies, God sees your husband the same way in Christ. But let's move on. While there is no difference between men and women as far as our standing in Christ goes, there is a difference of roles in God's plan. And again, we're not talking about wheat roll versus white bread, okay? We are talking about responsibility, This is true both in the home and also in the church. Men are to lead and women are to be supporters and helpers through godly lifestyles, through service, and through attitudes. Now, this is a very important place, a very important position. Why? Because if a woman is not what she needs to be, it will be a tremendous hindrance to a man being what he needs to be. It goes both ways. But there's tremendous power in the ministry of a Christian woman. Tremendous power. I want you to hold your place here and turn with me. Go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to look with me to verse... 18. So how was it at the beginning? Well, at the beginning, there was just Adam. When God created human beings, Adam was first created. After a period of time, God made a statement, and then he did something else. And that's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man, Adam, should be alone. I'm going to misread this. I will make him a competitor to be a problem all the days of his life. No. I will make him and help meet, or as some would say, a helper fit. The word meet means fit. I will make him a helper fit for him. All right? Now, 
A lot of modern women, they bristle to the, with that idea. But see, dear friend, listen, your objection is not with me. Your objection is with God. Remember, God is God. None of us are except him. And he has ordained this, and he has designed this, and he knows what is best. As a matter of fact, he even knows the way we're made up as human beings, and he knows how we function best. And this is how he designed it, which leads us to our next point. Getting back to this, remember, there's difference in roles. She is to be a helper. In the home, she is to be a helper. In marriage, she's supposed to be a helper. In the church, she's supposed to be a helper. You might say, well, it sounds like just, I don't matter. Now, where did you get that from what I've said so far? You've made that up. You've jumped to a conclusion because you're being emotionally driven at that point. Listen, there's great wisdom in what God has to say. And we are supposed to walk by faith. And when we walk by faith, God rewards faith. To those who diligently seek him, Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, getting back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, you notice here it says, women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. The word modest, you might say, what does this have to do with the church? I mean, what's it matter what people wear? Well, isn't it amazing that God would put this in his word? Women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. The word modest means orderly or well-arranged, decent, modest. It's according to Vine's expository dictionary of of, uh, Old and New Testament words. In other words, the attention of when we come together as a church, remember the context is a local church, the attention of when we come together to worship should not be on our looks or on the clothing of women, but our attention is supposed to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I say, wait, but it's addressing dress. Yes, and what it's saying is, be sure you're modest, you're humble, Because you're not supposed to be drawing attention to yourself. We are supposed to be drawing attention to the Lord. That's where our attention should be. It is to be modest apparel. This is related to the attitude she should have. You notice it uses the term. Now, we don't use the term shamefacedness. You know, that kind of thing is kind of... That concept brings with it the idea nowadays, nowadays. It was a fine word when the King James text was written. People understood it back then. We don't understand it today. We see it something terrible. Shame-facing, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm beaten down. I'm supposed to be a beaten down, worthless person. That's not what he's getting at here. The idea is modesty or humility. Humility. Shamefacedness with sobriety. The idea is modesty, humility, and discretion. Be discreet. Sobriety means sober-minded. In other words, moderate of desires, passions, or conduct. What am I saying? The clothing you wear, the clothing you wear should be conservative and not sexually provocative or outlandish is the idea. Provocative clothing is never, ever appropriate for a Christian woman, whether it is in the church or out in public. Never appropriate. It is a stumbling block. 
tight-fitting jeans or clothing, low necklines that draw attention to your chest, I'll put it that way, etc., are not appropriate. The key word here is modesty, and modesty brings with it humility. Your desire is to be humble and pleasing to God, not to draw attention to yourself, but to draw attention to Christ. And of course, that's what this whole passage in 1 Timothy is talking about for the women. Now, modesty is the key word. There are some women who will say this, well, I do it for my husband. That's why I dress that way. Okay, let me tell you something. He's not the only one looking at you. Okay? To wear clothing that purposely stimulates men's physical desires is wrong. You are being a stumbling block by being that way. Okay? Remember, it's all about Christ. It's not about us. Does that mean you're supposed to go around looking like you're from the mid-1800s, you know, Little House on the Prairie or whatever? No, no. You can be stylish. Just don't be provocative or immoral with the clothing you wear. I think it is interesting, by the way, that the Bible, in fact, does address in principle how to dress when you come to church. Don't you think that's... Now, remember, this is in the Bible we're talking about. So it's not me posting on the door of the church, don't come in here unless you're dressed a certain way. We don't do that. Do you have a dress code here? No, we don't have a dress code. We do have principles. Dress in a way that honors God. That is how we should dress. That is how we should live. But the Bible doesn't address in principle. And you notice, by the way, when I say in principle, nowhere does the Bible say, now, you can wear a skirt but or a dress, but that cannot be more than one and a half inches above the knee. And when we say the knee, you know, there's no verses on that. Always the emphasis in Scripture is on principle. Let the principle drive you. Rules are not the issue. It's the principle that is the important thing. Because if you're right with God, it'll take care of itself. It'll take care of itself. But the Bible does address in principle how to dress when you come to church. The context here in 1 Timothy is public worship as the church, the local church, comes together. So often today, people say that it doesn't matter how you dress, just come as you are. Well, this holds some truth for the unbeliever who doesn't know anything, but God clearly gives us here principles both in 1 Timothy 2 and also 1 Peter 3 for a woman who is a believer. Now, how does this work out in real life? Well, I'll tell you how not to be. Years ago, many years ago, we had a couple coming. They were not members of the church, but they were coming. And they were both saved, but they were kind of of the mindset, okay, I can, I'm saved and therefore I can do anything that I want, okay, because I'm saved. Well, technically, that's you can try to do anything you want because you can't lose your salvation once you have it. But listen, the choices we make, you're free to make the choice you make, but you're not free of how the consequences are going to fall out for you with the choices you make, right? You, You understand that? Yeah, you're free to take drugs, but you know what? You may die, and you don't have a choice in that once you take them. Well, we had a lady 
they were a young couple, nice, nice people, nice people. But we had a lady, I can remember, as a matter of fact, I think I was actually preaching either from 1 Peter 3 or from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so I talked about the modest apparel and, and all of that. That was one week. Now, it was during the summer, but that really is not an issue. So one week I preached on that. Okay, they, they kind of sat up front. The next week, she came in and she was in short shorts and sat right in the same place. Now listen, folks, I, even back then, I wasn't born yesterday, okay? It was an in-your-face moment, okay? Now, shortly after that, they quit coming to church. So it was her statement. I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you say. What's the problem there? Yeah, she shouldn't have had that. Her problem isn't here. She wasn't humble. She wasn't modest. She was going to do what she wanted to do. And how dare the preacher tell her how she's going to dress? Not only that, but, and some of you probably figured this out, if you believe what God says about male leadership, where else is the problem? It's her husband. He was a coward. Maybe I shouldn't be so blunt. No, I'll be that blunt. He was a coward. He would not stand up to her. Now, that was just, that probably wasn't the first time. It was probably a pattern, but because he wouldn't stand up and be the loving leader that he should have been in his home, and he wasn't at that point. Folks, listen, this gets out of control, and this is the result of this. Not a good situation. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Her husband was too weak spiritually to do anything about it. And that's a shame. You know what's really interesting about it is years later, I'm here one day, and uh, he walks in the door. And, you know, and they were very critical when they left the church. Very critical of me. You're legalist. You know, they play the L card. They all do. You're a rebel. You don't want to conform to the principles of God's word. So somebody challenges you on something. Legalist. You're a legalist. Okay, they love to do that. Well, he came years later and apologized for how he had been and how they left. Isn't that interesting? Please forgive me. I said, you know what? I forgave you way back when. I don't carry stuff with me like this. It's not worth it. But I'm glad he wanted to reconcile. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. It sounds like 1 Timothy 2. Who's adorning? Talking about women. Let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or putting out of apparel, but let it be the hidden man or the hidden person of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek, that means humble, and quiet, quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You see, the main adornment of a Christian woman should be her godly character and spirituality. This is not saying, ladies, that you can't have a nice hairstyle, that you can't wear makeup, that you can't wear jewelry, because if it is in fact saying that, then we have a problem at the end of verse 3. We do want you to come to church and close, okay? Just saying. Just that's what it's saying right here. So be careful about that. 
Be careful about that. No, what is he saying? It's a contrast. It's saying, listen, don't let the way you look on the outside, which to look nice is fine, but don't let the way you look on the outside be your concern. Be who you are on the inside. Strive for godliness. You can look incredible on the outside and be very carnal on the inside. God wants us all to be godly on the inside. So the main ornament of a Christian woman should be her godly character and spirituality. Her strength is in her quiet wisdom and support of her husband. A woman who knows how to do that well is amazing. Amazing. Let me say that again. Her strength is in her quiet wisdom and support. So keep that in mind. I've got three applications today in closing. The first one is this. The issue in this passage is godly character, both for men and women. Godly character will drive how you serve Christ, both in your home, in society, and also in the context here in the local church. Godly character is the key. Secondly, as a believer, let me ask you this. Are you living your life to please the Lord or are you living your life to please yourself? It's a hard question. Well, technically not, but it's a challenging question. Are you living your life to please yourself? Let me ask you this. Who do you seek when faced with life situations, with the decisions you need to make on a day-to-day basis? Who are you seeking? Are you asking God for help or are you just doing your own thing, what you think is best, you know, follow your heart, listen to your gut and all that kind of stuff? It sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? Listen to your gut. But who are you following? Well, it should be the Lord. And if it's the Lord, everything falls into place. And then the last thing is this. And certainly the most important of all, do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? On Friday, I did a funeral of our neighbor next door who had recently trusted Christ as a savior. They asked me to do the funeral. I was glad to do it. We did it over at Benson's. But you know, I talked a little bit about him and uh, our brief conversations over the years. and, And when I went to visit him just days before, week before, how receptive he was and that he saw it clearly put his faith in Christ as a savior. And folks, you know, it always comes down to that, doesn't it? Turn with me over to John chapter three. Perhaps you're with us today and you say, you know, that's a good question. I'm not totally sure where I'm going when I die. Well, can I tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Wouldn't that be great to know before you ever got up? Those of you watching live streaming, if you're wondering, I'm gonna explain to you how you can be sure of going to heaven when you die. You see, if this was you and me, let this represent you and me. And yes, I used this on Friday. Let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Yet the Bible also tells us that God loves us. He hates our sin. See, our sin keeps us out of heaven. It separates us from God. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin. The sin has to be gone. But here we are, we're sinners. We've all sinned, we all do things wrong. Not only that, but God says, because we have violated his word, his laws, there's a penalty that must be paid. And if we do it, we are gonna spend forever separated from God in hell. It's the wrath of God, experiencing the wrath of God poured out on us. For how long? Forever. It never stops ever. 
Well, God doesn't want that for us. He loves us. He does not want us to go to hell. But sin has to be dealt with. Good works will not take care of the sin. If you say, well, I'll get to heaven by good works, that's just like just piling pages on top of this. It doesn't remove the sin. It just tries to cover it by doing good deeds. What does the scripture say? Look over here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, that's the best you can do. And if the best you can do will not get rid of it, how are you going to get rid of it? If you die with it, there are no second chances. God so loved you and me that he sent his only begotten son, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, noticed no sin of his own, the perfect man, perfect God, he went to the cross, and when he did, all the sins of your whole lifetime, he took them, took them all upon himself, and he died in your place. He made the payment that belongs to you. He did it for you as a substitute. He paid for all your sins. If he paid for all your sins, how many are left? None. None. He died, was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says this in his word, if you will put your faith in him that he did that for you, he will give you the moment you do everlasting life. Look at it with me. John chapter 3 in verse 36. It says this, he that believeth on the Son, Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him. He that believeth on the Son hath, that word means has, that's present tense. In other words, the moment you do, you have, notice what it says, everlasting life. But look at the second part of the verse. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now watch. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. When you believe, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. If you have no sin, there's nothing to send you to hell. If you have no sin, you have every right to go to heaven. But look at the second part again. He that believeth not the Son. In other words, you say this. No, you know what? I don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. I think there's other ways too. You still got your sin in the eyes of God. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, eternal life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God, it's like a dark cloud up in the sky, ready to break down upon us. Friend, listen, how foolish to reject the payment Jesus made for you. God wants to give you everlasting life as a gift. All he's asking you to do is to put your faith in him that he's paid for your sins. And when you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. The moment you believe, not when you die, the moment you believe. Will you trust Christ if you've never done that before? Put your faith in him today. He'll save you forever. You can be sure you're going to heaven. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.